Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter.com and Blue Sky at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter, Blue Sky, Instagram, all of the socials at Scavendish. If you like the show, the one you're listening to right now, please rate it, please review it, please subscribe to it. And you, the person who I ran into last night at a, at a social function, you have to live up to your promise to tell someone that you listen to lamestream sports and they should too. Calling out a specific human in Nashville. Just one. Just one. I see, like that. We're going to see I if she's listening. <laughs> I, do, I do appreciate that. All right. So uh, nothing really happened this week in sports. So we're just going to hang out and talk about coffee. Is that okay? That's great. That's great. <laughs> you know where we should talk about coffee? Eighth and roast. Eighth and roast. Uh, this is arguably, and I don't know how you feel about this, Steve, but this is maybe the biggest coaching news week in the history of Nashville and the history of football all at the same time. So Paul Kaharski will be our guest today. We will discuss the... The, the hostage video, Rand Carthon's press conference, sort of how they, the Tennessee Titans have unfolded this entire, you know, orchestration of firing Mike Vrabel and and, and Rand Carthon kind of taking control and the coaching search and everything else. We'll talk with PK about that. They also, of course, rolled out their brand new video the day after all the controversy, their brand new video of their new stadium. Excellent timing on their part by that squirrel uh to distract some folks with that so we'll discuss and and then you and i will have a conversation after our interview with pk sort of about how we see and how we've seen this entire thing unfold obviously if you want some companion pieces make sure you check out a football show uh, on the youtube page of course and on the podcast feed myself zach lyons went into depth of everything you need to sign up to the athletic of course as well and rex road and diana rossini had a very lengthy piece that we're going to reference today on the show so make sure you kind of use those as companion pieces to kind of understand what we're going to talk about Paul, of course, will do an excellent job. Uh, and we're going to talk about, oh, oh, by the way, <laughs> we're not even going to be able to mention the fact that the greatest NFL coach is retired this week, Bill Belichick. So we won't, we, that's not even a, like a part of the show. Bill Belichick got squeezed today on the show because Nick Saban retired and the national championship TV ratings are out. So we've got a lot of stuff to get to. But yes, Lamestream Sports, and this apparently was shook some folks up last week. Lamestream Sports is brought to you by Eighth and Roast. Eighth right. and roast. I gotta, I gotta practice roast. saying this. Eighth yeah, you need roast. to. You gotta put the right emphasis on the right syllable. It's eighth and roast. I think it's both. I think you gotta do both, right? Eighth and roast. <laughs> eighth, eighth and roast. Eighth and roast. roast. <laughs> we'll we'll work out this. <laughs> We're doing it on the air. They've got four locations technically because the airport. They're also at Vanderbilt over there on West End, of course. Charlotte Avenue and their original location in 8th Avenue. But more importantly, Steve Cavendish, you can get their wonderful and amazing and ethically sourced beans all across the city at a grocery store near you. So make sure you check them out. I've got the Jet Setter at home. I just recently pitched it, which which is the, uh, as I told you guys last week, the candied pecan, blackberry, and maple syrup uh, blend of bean. Jet Setter sounds like it should have like triple the caffeine. I I that's my hope. Um, it is. It is. A, they've also got the French New Wave, which is brown sugar, hazelnut, and cinnamon blend. And then, of course, they've got the Sweet Blue, which is peanut butter, cocoa, and graham cracker. That's my personal favorite. Uh, the Jet Setter is very good. It's are these bit... flavored or are these notes? These are notes. I think. I think these, these are. are notes. I think these are. I think these are notes. These are notes. This is not, yeah. These are not flavored beans. These Sweet, are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sweet Blue is from Brazil. These are the tasting notes. There you go. Yes, tasting notes. That's an important distinction. Uh, otherwise, uh, make sure you sw- swing by your local grocery store, pick up some beans. And here's the other thing. We are going to start meeting on another show 
uh, Pod Bless Nashville that I do. Uh, where Pod Ethan Rose, Bless Nashville. Pod Pod Bless Nashville, where we where we are. Ethan Rose is a proud sponsor of that show as well, and we're going to start meeting the first Tuesday of every single month to discuss things that are happening in the city. I want to make it like very old school Greenwich Village, 1960s style gathering. Maybe we'll have some wow. slam poetry going on. I don't know, but <laughs> some some Lenny Bruce, uh, some Lenny Bruce lookalikes in there. I, look, I crave in real life gatherings, and when we're talking about city government and the city of Nashville and the things that are happening, it's going to happen at at Eighth and Roast on Charlotte Avenue. So it's Eighth and Roast on Charlotte Avenue. 8.30 in the morning, the first Tuesday of every single month, which is when the council meets, the Metro Council meets. So we're going to do that every single... Uh, we're just going to start doing that, start meeting and hanging out and discussing our city. I'll probably b- grow some handlebar mustache and you know start drinking out of very small cups. Well, now that Brett Withers know. is out of the council, yeah, yes. could use some handlebars. Uh... We, we already have some RSVPs from some council members. So there'll be some guest speakers there and we'll cover some topics. But come on by. Eighth and Roast wants to host these types of events and we're going to do this stuff. Uh, so make sure you swing by on the first Tuesday of every single month. Okay. I, I don't know what we need to say about Nick Saban uh, other than how quickly this entire thing is unfolding. And even by the time you're listening to this on Friday, we're recording late Thursday afternoon. There is a chance that Alabama has already hired its coach. And if I from Nashville with basically some loose background information this year and, and my instincts uh, thought that Nick Saban could walk away at the end of the season at some point, very random point, then certainly the leaders of the Alabama Crimson Tide football program probably have some idea and were prepared for this to happen, even if it, the announcement was very abrupt. And by all reports uh, from very well-connected sources said that this was a 50-50 proposition and that Nick Saban decided after the champion, after losing to Michigan in the Rose Bowl, he was not going to retire. He wasn't ready. Well, Wednesday shows up. He goes in. He's interviewing, literally interviewing wide receivers coaches. He interviewed DJ Durkin, a, de- a defensive coordinator. And then by 4 p.m., he's having a meeting with his staff to say, I'm not, or his team to say that I'm retiring. It, it happened extremely abruptly. It happened because he just didn't think he was living up to his own expectations, which is all stuff that makes perfect sense. And somebody, I'm assuming somebody, they're going to have a coach in place very, very quickly. This whole thing is going to happen very fast. Somebody pointed, somebody else pointed this out. And I think it's a great, uh, I think it's a great kind of like, you know, sausage making thing to understand, you know, typically when these things are done, there is a, there's a PR operation and Bama has what has one of the biggest and they did not have the press release ready when the news broke. They didn't have the quotes from Saban or, or from uh, the athletic department or whatever else, just kind of saying the, like they were caught as flat footed on this as everyone else. And that, sh- that should give you an indication of Saban's thinking and kind of like how closely kept this was and that this was not some sort of, you know, this, this was not some sort of kind of like long planned sort of thing. And uh, look, I, you and I have talked about this before. We talked about it with Godfrey a little while back when these coaching searches happen. Don't, there are certain rules of engagement, right? Like don't follow planes. They're not happening on planes. Uh, when, when the announcement happens on Wednesday, at, when he tells the team Wednesday at 4 PM, there is no like list of name like there's not a name that they already have like no one's reporting that name it takes some time to do some background now again i would assume that if i felt like sabin was could walk away at any moment from nashville with just vibes i've got to imagine that athletic director greg Byrne and the power boosters were prepared and it's why i think this coaching search is oh, going to happen uh, so fast oh, oh i think i think i mean one of the reasons why greg Byrne is in the position he's in is because he is always prepared for this sort of stuff and 
high level athletic directors always have a list. They they always have a few targets that they're that they're thinking, you know, if if my guy you know, if my guy is lost in a plane crash or whatever else falls off a motorcycle. This is the first yeah, <laughs> falls off of falls off of a motorcycle, maybe with he a co-ed. Uses a cell uh, phone with escorts. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Break glass they in case of emergency. This. Yeah. They have thought about this. That that this is it is their job to think about this. Yep. And so, you know, they might not have had you know been been making calls at four o'clock or whenever Saban told his team, but they were they were definitely by later on that day, they were definitely pushed into action. And they, they also, it's also Alabama. So they also know that the vast majority of all humans would say yes in general. Uh, Lane, Kiffin, would they? Example, Lane Kiffin would bathe in sulfuric acid to get that job. But I think too many people in charge don't want him to have the job. So I don't think he's going to get it. Uh, but there's plenty of other people. And again, by the time you hear this, it could be out of date. Mike Norvell at Florida State. Dan Lanning already said no, the coach at Oregon. And the production team, social media team, and marketing team for Oregon took some motivational speaking clips from 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 Dan Lanning and put it together with like him smoking a big cigar and some graphics and turned the fact that he turned the Alabama job down into a recruiting pitch in a matter of minutes. Brilliant job by or the Oregon Ducks. There's a football team in Nashville that could take some notes on how to market their their coaching change. I mean, Bill Curry probably has some thoughts about following yes, about does. following the man about yes, and, and, and Alabama wandered in the wilderness for years after Bear, and and there is I don't think that's lost on people that even a program that's as that's as dominant as Bama, and we're in, we're in a different age today, and they're even more dominant now than they were under uh, under Bear. But man, that's a tough that is a tough ask because at literally everything yep. you do will be compared to Saban. Yeah, well, and 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 Bear Bryant. So it's not just Saban; it's Bear and Saban. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get the two greatest dynasties at the same place for a reason. Uh, okay, quickly, the national championship TV ratings. We'll t- we'll we will dive into Saban's legacy uh, with a much longer conversation at some point in the near future. You you can bet. Chris Lowe, of course, I think had the Spurrier news and the Saban news, but he's very close with Nick Saban, so we shall he's see. Also, he's also ESPN preferred yeah. partner. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I didn't notice that. TV ratings. Can, speaking of TV partners, uh, the ten the ten final championship games of the playoff era that the ratings are in. Ohio State Oregon was number one with a bullet thirty four point one million. And I posted this Steve on the internet, and I think Ohio State fans and Michigan fans took it all wrong. <laughs> shocking, yeah. shocking. My mentions Sh- just turned shocking that Michigan fans would would be would would take this the wrong way. Yes, it's shocking that my mentions turned into just another version of the game or or whatever, the 10-year war. It was fascinating. But Ohio State, Oregon, number one, 34.1 million people watched that game. Some of that is Ohio State and Heisman Trophy winner Marcus Mariota at Oregon being two big draws and interesting draws. Uh, and that Ohio State team was a fascinating story with Cardell Jones, but it was also the first one. Not, a, not another game even really got close. So it's less about Ohio State and Oregon and more about it was the first of its kind. That's number one. Bama, Georgia, was it finished number two. That was the first one, and it's because it went to overtime, and Nick Saban went to Tua in the second half, which is one of the most unprecedented moves a coach has ever made in the national championship game. 28.4 million. Bama Clemson part one, which was 2015 when Jacob Coker won, and they beat Clemson. That was 26 million. Uh, And then it's a bunch of games that are tied with the Michigan-Washington game, basically. LSU Clemson, which is Joe Burrow versus Trevor Lawrence. That was 25.6 million. And then Clemson-Bama, Clemson-Bama part two and part three. 25.2, 25.2, 25.2, 25.2, and then Michigan-Washington checked in at 25.1 million. But of note, the Georgia-TCU game was last, 
at 17 million people. The bad game and the blowout hurt that more than anything else. The number nine game was Bama, Ohio State, which is 2020, which was COVID. So COVID affected that one, 18 and a half million. And then Bama, Georgia, part two, 22 million. But basically, Michigan, Washington, big bounce back up, an 8 million viewer boost from the Georgia TCU game uh, to a game that wasn't that close in the first quarter or the fourth quarter. Do you think it might have been even higher if if it hadn't if Michigan hadn't jumped out to the big lead and made it look inevitable there in the first quarter? Uh that's a good question. I think I think it peaked at around 28 million, which is interesting. That's the number that the Rose Bowl did. Alabama and Michigan basically did 28 million. So actually the Rose Bowl between Alabama and Michigan was more watched than the national championship game. Some of that is New Year's Day and two bigger brands in the Rose Bowl and the time slot versus Monday night. Although I will say 6.47 p.m. Central Time kickoff, excellent work by college football and ESPN for doing that. Yeah. Um, I, I think had like that game was j- actually a close football game until the fourth quarter. So I don't know. I mean, I think, it, was, it was a one score game in the fourth quarter. I don't know why you would have given up on it at that point. They had four up four drive. Washington had four drives to try to tie it with, with down by one score. And then Michigan kind of put the pedal down with an interception and a couple of big, dri- big drives in the fourth quarter. And that. But again, twenty-five million is pretty good for Washington. I, I would guess if I'm a yep. an exec, a TV executive, I would take twenty-five million with a Pac-12 team. So uh, absolutely. So there you go. Uh, congratulations to Michigan and the national championship again on, in a week where Bill Belichick retires, Mike Vrabel is fired, Nick Saban retires, and probably the national the reigning national champion Jim Harbaugh leaves college football. Do we think? Do we think that Belichick is actually retired? I, I don't know. He's maybe. <laughs> I, I just like Belichick is no longer the Patriots coach. Saban is no longer the Bama coach. The, the reigning national champion is Jim Harbaugh. He's probably not going to be the Michigan coach anymore. And the Titans fired their coach because of feelings, <laughs> I guess. So, I, I mean, let's, I, I let's just get into the, it. The only the only reason I say that is as a longtime Don Shula lover, I, 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 I want him to hold on to that record. I always forget. I always forget that you are a Dolphins fan originally. I always forget your original sin. Uh, okay. All right. That's enough of us. Uh, you and I will have some thoughts about, you know, the Rex Road piece and the unfolding of all of this. But uh, let's hear from PK first. This was our conversation with Paul Kaharski of paulkaharski.com. PK, good to see you, man. Quite a week. Uh, how are you? Thanks for giving us some time. We appreciate it. Oh, I'm just fine. Thanks. Uh, I mean, eventful is better than not eventful, though. Uh, I don't think the events have been great. Well, we'll get to all of that. Uh, for, forget about the actual decision that was made and and who made it. We'll get to that in a second. I want to put you in charge. You are a senior level uh, communications director of the Tennessee Titans, and you are in the room with Amy Adams Strunk and Mike Vrabel and Rand Carthon when this decision is made. And then you are immediately brought in to handle how this decision will be unfolded and unfurled to the audience, to the to the fans, to the press. W- what is it that you would have done? Uh, over this course, over the course of this week. Well, let's be clear for starters. I would never be a senior level uh, <laughs> communications executive. I mean, it is the exact wrong role for me. <laughs> but if we're putting me in a role where, like you would say, how are we going to make somebody like Paul Kuharski walk out of the room feeling like? Uh, we've answered questions and given um, given him some rationale where he's going to write something uh, that spins this forward in a, the most positive light possible. 
um, you know, the opposite of a lot of a lot of what Ray and Carthon did. I mean, uh, look, they, they have to close the loop on why Mike Vrabel was fired. You don't want to bash the guy going out the door, but you can't have Rand Carthon there saying everything uh, everything was rosy. We were in lockstep. Uh, player development was good. It's hard to win with those injuries where it sounds like he's got absolutely no beef with what went down with Mike Vrabel. And the only reason Mike Vrabel's being fired is that Amy Adams Strunk decided to fire him. Um, that leads to the story that everybody wrote out of that or tweeted out of that, which was like, that was awfully confusing and circular and didn't, didn't make, um, a, a lot of sense. And so, you know, maybe he's put in a difficult position, but what I've gotten a lot from fans I've talked to and, and from Twitter and stuff is that you know, he's somewhat helplessly put out there in a, in a terrible situation. Well, when he's sitting down with Amy, he, he can say, Hey boss, you know, you're putting me in a bad situation here. I've got to defend your firing. You're unwilling to go out there. And, you know, some people are saying, well, you know, these are the bullet points he's given. Well, you've got to push back on some of those. You, you can't go out there and say everything was rosy, but we're firing him. It it doesn't make any sense. You need to make sense. That would be my first thing. <laughs> All right, we're going to go out there and we're going to make sense. Well, and maybe not a hostage video is your first uh, point of contact with the the, the audience. Is hey, and look, I'm I don't know what the breaking point was with with Amy Adams Strunk and talking to the media. Uh, I can understand she's uncomfortable, maybe with the large setting, but back at the first owners meeting I went to, which wasn't too long after she took over, I set up a tripod and my iPhone and spent 12 minutes with her. And she was delightful and, and fantastic, shared a lot of information that clarified a, a lot of things, produced five or six stories for me that were informative for the people of Nashville. Um, and it, it wasn't a problem at all. And I've found her to be that way every time I've, I've talked to her one-on-one, -on -one, which I'm now shooed away from even, you know, trying to get near her to, you know, get clarification on, on one thing that will help the organization. If I can, you know, steer the people this way or that way, um, which she seems willing to do until her cronies, you know, see that I'm near her. I'm interested, I'm interested in, in, in why you think, uh, what you think about Adam's there's a $2.1 billion uh, stadium deal that went through that, uh, that she really didn't talk to the media. We tried, uh, I, I know on the news side, we tried for months and months and months. I mean, well over a year to have that conversation. They didn't want to do it. They, you know, they, they made other people um, kind of the, the face of that, of, of that operation. Now you have a big change in the franchise, uh, you know, with the changing of the coach again, you know, she doesn't want to talk to the media. What do you think? What's the origin of all of this? Is this, is this a team thing or do you think this is a her thing? Well, I mean, she's the boss, so it's a her thing. I do sense that she's discouraged from doing it 
or at some point she became discouraged from doing it. Now she's protected. Uh, you, you know, back in Bud Adams' day, there were two schools of thought from from the PR department. An early PR department was like, he's the boss. If he wants to talk, I, I'm going to let him talk. And if he says something that gets him in hot water, well, he he's the boss. And then the next school of PR was, I'm going to protect the hell out of him and not let him say anything that lets him get in hot water as an eccentric, uh, aging, aging guy. Um, you know, I, I don't know what the, what the rationale is. Look, a, Amy Adams Strunk is a, uh, down home, uh, relatable person, right. And when she's with the fans, she's a huge hit. So when you take her then and seal her off in terms of talking about, even on a basic level about the stadium deal or about her vision for the team or, or, or why she's chosen to fire a coach, keep this person, let that person go. I think it, uh, to a degree, I, I don't want to say inauthenticates the other thing, but it makes the other thing not matter that much. That's great. She could go judge a chili cook-off at the, at the tailgates before uh, the game. But if, if she can't, present a vision for her team uh, how long are fans satisfied i think fans are too long satisfied with the chili cook-off judging um because th that that's a nice thing to add on to good ownership that's not good ownership what, what i find interesting uh like one of the one of the topics i'm going to use it as an as a as an example here of the one of the things that i think we as fans and as the media are a little too obsessed about just personally. Like the final say on the 53 is is an important thing, but it feels like it's sort of overblown relative to sort of winning games or whatever like that. And so with this, I think we're going to get stuck and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can correct me on this. I think we're going to get stuck on, well, how much influence did Rand have on Amy and how much was this just Amy? And like, ultimately, there are two people left in the building that are still there and one guy's not. And I'm not sure how much it matters the truth of like how much did Rand lean on her or not. But to your point, if he desperately wanted to keep Mike Vrabel, he could have probably stood on the table and kept him. So how much in your opinion, does it matter that we get the ultimate final truth on that? Certainly Mike Vrabel will have something to say if, and when he ever wants to do that, he may not. How much does it matter that we actually know exactly the, these sort of finite details at the end of these deci major decisions that <clears throat> ultimately we already kind of have a general sense of how it went down. Well, I mean, it matters because we want to know and it's out there to be found out, right? So um, that's why it matters. The who's got control of the 53 matters because we want to know where the buck stops. So when things go badly, we can say, well, look, Mike Vrabel might have been into Isaiah Wilson, but ultimately the guy who drafted Isaiah Wilson was John Robbins. Um, and I think that's a lot more uh, to me not having a final say in the 53 uh or on on who's signing off on a free agent or making a draft pick diffused blame uh, right so they can laugh into the tv screen during the during the draft from the war room and say ha 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 and when it comes down to they they were insufficient at wide receiver we can't say why or they can be in lockstep that and I I don't think there's a chance in hell that if Mike Vrabel had an end of season um, press conference he would have said that that he thought the offensive line was sufficient. 
Now, so I don't know how much faith Titans fans can take that the GM, the guy who's left, said, basically, the offensive line was sufficient, the problem was health, and if they were all healthy, we would have had a greater level of cohesion and things would have been better to a degree that that it wouldn't have been such a big issue. I, I don't care who's healthy and how healthy. Andre Dillard is not an NFL starting caliber left tackle. And nobody's been held to account for that to any any degree. I mean, Mike Vrabel get fired in part because of that. You know, it's, it's on his resume. It's on Rand Carthon's resume, too. Who do you think ultimately talks first? Because there's the incentives for Robinson and for Vrabel to talk are, are fairly minimal, right? I mean, like they're getting paid out on contracts. They're, they want to work in this league. The league, uh, you know, league ownership collectively probably doesn't like mouthy coaches or mouthy GMs who, who, you know, lay into a former employer or kind of spill the tea on them. But did you think either one of them actually talks about kind of their firings ultimately? Not in a big sit down sense. I think in a gradual trickle out sense, Vrabel will, he won't be able to help himself. Robinson won't. Robinson wants to get another job. I don't know that, that that he will or he won't. I guess his name's come up again, uh, maybe attached to New England. That's not going to happen in connection with with uh, Vrabel, I wouldn't think. But um, GMs don't get second jobs. And uh, certainly John's decided that the route to a second job doesn't include saying anything about his time um, with the Titans. I know Rex Road, who I did a show with earlier in the studio around the corner here, tried to get him just on on Derrick Henry for a nice story he did at the Athletic last week you know heading into what could have been Derrick Henry's last game in in Nashville John didn't even want to talk about you know that one small good thing a, a highlight on his resume so I don't think we're ever going to hear from John on on stuff like this you know until you know maybe 10 20 years from now if at all but it seems like he's done a pretty good job of, of just buttoning it up. It, it also helps when you're uh, probably more qualified. You know, Vrabel's probably more qualified to be a head coach than John Robinson is to be a general manager in theory. So that also might help his. Uh, his I don't know about that. John yeah. Robinson's first, you know, first half of John Robinson was good. Sure. Then, you know, he'll tell you, uh, you know, COVID undid him or was the beginning of undoing him. But. I mean, uh, look, like a, a lot of people that do well at the beginning of a job and then, uh, you know, peter out in, in NFL terms. And that's what that's what ha- happened to John. And he suffered serious consequences of it. It's ridiculous to me that we're, we're saying 13 months later after she chose a side and pretty much said <clears throat> that personnel was the issue. She then fired the coach for not winning enough with the crappy personnel that the guy who was fired 13 months earlier provided. So if you run all of this stuff through some sort of translators, you know, you got the the Egyptian hieroglyphics of the statement she put out with there's a couple of kernels of nuggets of modernization and whatever else in there. Yeah, but again, it's all sentence. It, it's just not, like it's it's a lot. Then you have all the stuff Rand says about, yes, we have a defined vision, but we're just not going to tell you about it yet. Um, like you put you put you put all of this stuff and the video again, the hostage video with Mike Keith, you put it all together and ultimately what does it translate to when you when you're when I if I ask you why was Mike Vrabel fired? I think number one, uh, 
she would say, I, I, I mean, I think I've been told it's the record, uh, you know, the six and 18 or whatever it is over the end of, of 2022 and, and what they did this year, which to me is unreasonable given the roster that he had to work with. And I think it undervalues the culture that he built where guys were, were fighting to the end and there was no fracture of the locker room. Uh, I think secondly, it's that, that, Mike Vrabel can be pretty brusque and blunt. And um, my suspicion with some cause is that, you know, he was looking at Rain and Rain's two assistant GMs and wasn't necessarily seeing work product that he trusted or believed in and was wondering what everybody was up to. And while while his staff wasn't necessarily producing, he could say, well, look at that guy right there. I can tell you exactly what that guy's job is and what he's doing. And this guy over there and that guy over there and this guy over there. You look at my sideline and everybody's got a very well-defined job. You look at my practice and I, everybody, you could go to him and say, what's your job right now? And he could tell you, I'm doing this, this, and this. And when the horn blows, I move over there and I do this. And I, I don't think that that Mike Vrabel necessarily felt like the the rebuilt front office um, had has that. This is my inclination off of, of, of a, a little bit of, of information. And I think that that bugged him. And I, I can understand uh, why. And uh, seeing that that could have annoyed him or that there may have been cause for that to annoy him. I think there's cause to be frightened about that side winning and, and uh, you know, collaboration off of that going, going forward. You know, Chad Brinker is building analytics machine. Um, you know, when are, you know, I don't, I, I'm not expecting, this is the other thing, fans think, you know, one thing or the other. Well, they're not going to tell you, Paul, what the analytics machines are spitting out and show you. I'm not suggesting they do that. I want to know, what do the analytics machines do? When are they done? When are you putting them in practice? What are they helping you with? I think those are logical questions that a fan base expected to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for PSLs on a new stadium are entitled to have some information on. And I'm not expecting it. What's your sense of what's your sense of uh, the culture there and sort of the problem here is is a split between kind of GM and coach and kind of how you a year ago you wanted to build something with this coach and bring in a new GM. And now you've got this GM and you want to bring in a new coach. What's your sense of how you build that culture and what and what the Titans can do with it and if they're going to have issues with people around the league or with candidates? who looked at this and were like, I don't know if I want to step into that. Well, this coach is going to have some kind of connection to Rand Carthon. I mean, you just can't put two people together who don't know each other. They're, they're, they're bound to be trust issues. And what, what know, evidence do you have of that, Paul? Yeah, we have, uh, we have one whole year of evidence <clears throat> that, 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 that is not a favorable way to go. And so uh, this idea that the Titans job is unappealing, first off, what are their seven jobs right now? Uh, it's more appealing than Carolina Panthers job for sure, unless you just want money, but you're going to sacrifice your career knowing that in three years, odds are it goes bad 
and you're you're uh, you, you become poisoned um, in a way. But look, <clears throat> city's great. Um, you know, the quarterback is is there if 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 you have some faith in in, in Will Levis. Um, <clears throat> you know, you know you're going to have to play nice with Carthon and collaborate with him, but you're going to know him probably coming in. And uh, frankly, you know, I was talking about this again on Robbie and Rex Road this morning. These offensive whiz kids, which ones come in outside of Cliff Kingsbury, who came from the college ranks? Which offensive whiz kid that's come from NFL ranks that's been McVeigh connected or Shanahan connected hasn't panned out to some degree? It's hard to find them. I mean, Zach Taylor came in and we were like, this guy has no experience. I mean, he really is a stretch and he's been terrific. Mike McDaniel looks, looked weird. He's completely different. I mean, he's got some limitations on him, but I expect him to grow and, and be good. And I mean, his offense is innovative and interesting as hell. If the dolphins are on TV, we're watching. Right. Um, you know, I, I think they've got to go the route of a young offensive guy who's in the lane of these guys. And if they do, maybe they get lucky yeah. despite themselves. McVeigh, Shanahan, O'Connell, you can keep going. Um, I, I I wonder where Art Smith fits into that <laughs> into that group. <laughs> Art Smith, uh, you know, could well be Mike Vrabel's offensive coordinator if he yeah. gets a job somewhere other than Atlanta. And I would think he winds up in New England with the Chargers or, or, or Falcons commanders. I think Falcons, yeah. uh, if it's not New England, Falcons is a terrific job for uh, Mike Rabel. If he could draft a quarterback there, there are a lot of pieces there. And Arthur Blank seems to me like a terrific owner to work for coming out of a situation where obviously ownership fell apart for him. I, I should have added Lafleur to that as well. Uh, he probably qualifies yeah. in that group as well. You, you kind of echoed some of the things. That... And Green Bay hired Lafleur a year early, right? Yeah. Now they had the the luxury of Aaron Rodgers and everything, but Lafleur prob- probably wasn't ready. He, they gave him some runway because they had that luxury. You you mentioned a couple of things that Amy Adams Strunk made a very concerted effort, in my opinion. Her two statements, which is the written one and the v- video, where she wrapped up on. Very very specific talking points, right? Which was we have we found a promising young quarterback. We have a ton of cap space. We've got a coaching search, and we've got a top ten draft pick. Now you also add in the layer of a brand new stadium, and 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 I guess ultimately my question is: is do you think for the eight months, because barring a Super Bowl championship in the first two years, which statistically is extremely improbable, but not out of the question. Let's say hypothetically, if they get an elite coach in the situation. Do you, do you think the casual fan, much like the t- the stadium debate and much like this discussion, all the nuances and all the inner workings and all the things that make it very complicated, same with the stadium deal and, and the same with this firing, does the average fan even care about any of this stuff that we're talking about? Are they just like, look, we, we got a top 10 pick. We found our quarterback. Let's go get a coach. We got a stadium coming. Let's roll. Like, do the, Is that even – how much of the Titans fandom – does this re- does this concern like the fact that Amy Adams Strunk has changed course in eighteen and sixteen months, and that there is this potential dysfunction behind the scenes or whatever? Like, how much of that is a factor when you can rattle off those bullet points about the future of the organization? I I don't know how deep the average fan goes, but I think the average fan had some feel for Mike Vrabel, and are wondering why. Uh, I haven't gotten a clear explanation for why he's out. 
and probably got some sense of that Rand Carthon press conference, not explaining it, but kind of suggesting that, uh, you know, that the GM said he and the coach were completely cool. So what happened there? I, I, I think that vibe is out there for an average fan. So I, I think an average fan thinks that there is big confusion going on with the Titans right now. And, and, and if the average fan is talking to a friend who's a better than average fan, I, I think the overwhelming feeling in fandom is oh, what the hell is going on? Me. And uh, those are the text messages to my brother. To <laughs> yeah. And I, I think right now, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know if they're still doing furloughs in corporate America anymore, but it would be a good time to furlough people in the ticket office. <laughs> yeah. That, those are the exact text messages for, with like my brother-in-law, who's a big fan. Who's like, I, I watched the press conference. I don't understand. Like what, 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 what what's going on? And, um, you know, I don't know. It's ultimately we, we shall see. Um, go ahead, Steve. Uh, along the, along those lines though, I, I wonder if the, the coming increase in PSLs and likely the, 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 the ticket price in general, uh, going into that new stadium creates a level, uh, of a greater accountability to those, to those fans, because I mean, the money, the, the money that's, that's going to be paid for your average fan to sit in a seat in the stadium is going to be higher. It's going to have to be in order to kind of, in order, in order to service that debt. Does, do you think that creates any level of, well, shit, we need to get this right uh, from, from ownership or top management at the Titans? Well, I certainly think it should. And I think the people who are buying those corporations uh, you know, C CEOs and and rich folk and and regular folk who maybe can afford the upper deck should all be saying that. I, I, that would be my campaign. If if they're soliciting your business on that, you should be telling your rep. And I tell my waiter this when I'm unhappy with the food that comes from the kitchen. Look, I don't, I don't have access to the chef. You're my conduit. I want to express my dismay at how this salmon is undercooked and, and I, I can't talk to him. I know it's not your fault, but I'm talking to you. So you say to the ticket rep, I can't talk to Amy, but I can talk to you. There's no way I am paying this until I get some clarity from the team on what the F they're doing. No way. Forget about it. And if I'm the CEO of, I don't know what the fortune 500 companies are in town. I, I mean, that stuff has impact. And I think if those people don't do that, they're doing a disservice to the entire fan base, down to the people who, you know, never have hope of going to a game outside of the, the preseason game where free tickets get given away. who or, or the people, you know, three hours away or or the transplants who live in Seattle who grew up here, you know, and watched Steve McNair and, and Eddie George. But I mean, money talks and, and they got a lot of money to make up in those PSLs to have help offset debt in this stadium. And the prices are going to be super high. And, and if you lay down money without asking for answers, you're crazy. Now, in the meantime, the Titans can do one thing. They can hire a terrific coach here and put a team on the field that wins, you know, that, that does what Houston just did. And people are yep. going to want in the building. No, no, note to self. That. That's Make their alternative. Now, now, do we believe they can do that? 
I don't know. Houston just did it. Yeah. Note, note to self, make sure salmon is always fully cooked. Um, so here's the question. Uh, I like it a little bit more than they cook it, but I, I okay. Like okay. That <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Uh, what I My think is interesting is about the service. To, to Steve's question and to your answer, I think unequivocally that is probably what Amy Adams Strunk thinks she is doing right now. And I think you're both correct that that is exactly what they need to feel and they are feeling it. And I would argue that's why we had this week. And and it's it, she is making an effort to do that. The question is, and I think this is ultimately why we heard some of the things we heard about Mike Vrabel and some of his requests, is that there I have I have gained a lot of respect and 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 um respect for her decision making when it comes to rebuilding the relationship with the community, the branding of the team, how she has integrated the team better into the city of Nashville, connected with fans on the business side of this of this thing, she's done a pretty darn good job since she's taken over and made a lot of good decisions along the way. But this is about football. And the complaint is she doesn't have a lot of football experts around her to help make decisions. That seems to be maybe what Mike Vrabel was, was asking for. We don't know. That's pure speculation. Um, and it seems that she's now made two very intense decisions. I don't want to say rash because this was at the end of the season in a normal time when you would fire a coach, but ultimately I think she is doing what you guys are talking about. The question is, how much faith do we have that they are the correct decisions? Well, I, I, yeah, and it circles back to, like, who's the biggest football winner she's had around since she's been in this position? Is Mike Rabel. Mike Rabel is just flat out a football winner, right? He's won three Super Bowls. The guy, you know, Ohio State, Patriots, you know, we don't need to run through the resume. Now, if he's unimpressed, which I suspect he is with Rand Carthon and Chad Brinker and Anthony Robinson. Those are now her football triumphant. What's confidence level off of that? Mine's mine's not particularly high. Mm. All right. Great. Uh, go spend a hundred thousand dollars on PSLs, everybody. <laughs> That's Super. it. You know, they go out and, and, and win some games, uh, you know, winning solves everything. And she knows, she knows that, but, you know, look, I, I I wrote this week. If I'm betting on Mike Vrabel going somewhere new now, where he's got the hand he wants, which I don't think is complete control by any means, but the hand he wants and personnel matters, working with somebody he trusts as the personnel person. If I'm if I'm betting on that, or I'm betting on what the Titans are about to put together, yeah. I, I'm betting on Vrabel wherever he is, and I think that's going to be a, a more successful plan than the Titans who consistently seem to level out at, at mediocrity and maybe have a couple of good seasons, but generally wind up back at something that averages out at nine and seven. Okay. Uh, we'll let you go, Paul. You've been very gracious. Obviously the, the story moving forward is very easy to write and follow and track. There will be a coaching search. There will be a draft. There will be a season and we will evaluate Rand and Amy and the rest of the team accordingly. And it's easy to do that in a, with a clean slate. What, what do you think the story is? Ultimately, though, if you're looking backwards on this six-year window and how it ended, you know, over the next eight months in the offseason, what is it that you think you're working on? Well, I don't know if I'm working on it, but I think the story looking back is that they, you know, how, how did it all come apart? You know, talking about John not talking and, and it'll be a while before Mike comes up, you know. These, these relationships come apart and guys need to trust each other and they need to trust ownership. And when you've got it right, and they had it right when Robinson was doing well 
at, at the beginning, those first couple of years, 18, 19, 20, uh, you know, they, they had it right. And you think like, well, there it is. And then it, 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 it almost inevitably comes apart and, and you see the value of uh, what they have in Baltimore where, you know, I had Ozzie Newsom for a long time and they transition it to the, to the next GM and DaCosta smoothly and the head coach is steady and they, early they stuck with him through some bad times right and Tomlin's hated in Pittsburgh because he doesn't win playoff games but they don't have losing seasons even in a year like this where the roster's bad um and uh you just see how hard it is to put something together that works and works for the long haul and the Titans are uh you know at ground zero again starting and you hope it's the beginning of something like that, but you have no cause to believe it will be. Yep. You had three answers and then maybe you had one answer and now you maybe have zero answers, but we're all going to find out together. Uh, Paul, thank you so much, man. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Always great chatting with you guys. Thanks. That was PK, of course, paulkarski.com. Sign up for his website if you care about the Titans. And of course, make sure you check out the Paul Karski podcast. You can also catch him on his YouTube page as well. Uh, named Paul Kaharski's YouTube page, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> as he likes to do. So go check that out. We do appreciate his time in this busy, busy week, of course. Lame Stream Sports brought to you by 8th and Roast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the and here for a little it's, bit. It's, yeah, that's good. It sounds like two humans <laughs> that run eighth the... and Roast. 8th and Roast. 8th and Roast. Come to 8th and Roast for a great cup of coffee. You can also get a nice breakfast sandwich. And it's a great place to get a little work done. You got multiple locations around the city. It's in the airport. It's on 8th Avenue. It's over on by Vanderbilt and on Charlotte. Uh, and, and most importantly, again, you can get their ethically sourced and high-quality beans everywhere. Beans are sold all across the city at a grocery store near you. I have them right I there. Can't hear. Nobody, nobody can hear that. Nobody can hear that. He's 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 trying to shake his the a bag of beans into the into the microphone and it's just not working. I I popped in I popped into the Eighth Avenue store a couple times this week for a morning uh, a morning pick me up just a just a, a a fabulous experience I I, I gotta say great service I, I prefer like a mid morning latte like mm. something with a little bit of milk a little bit of espresso just kind of hits the spot kind of keeps me kind of powers me through uh, until until lunchtime I'm 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 like a two p.m. cappuccino guy really oh yeah. Because I want less, a little less milk, but I want, but I need that espresso shot <laughs> or two. <laughs> My sports editor uh, at in Chicago at the Tribune used to walk across the street to the coffee shop mid morning when he needed his pick me up, and his standard was a four shot was was four shots of espresso. I was going to ask you this because I was going to say I used to be a four shot espresso uh, latte guy. It's just a little too much milk and probably a little too much espresso for me. But you should you should know that Eighth and Roast. I was going to say, did, has your central nervous system recovered yet? <laughs> Eighth and Roast has never judged me when they say when they say my name, <laughs> and it's uh, Latte Quad Shot Braden. <laughs> <laughs> They've never judged me. No, no one at Eighth and Roast has ever judged me. Everyone else in the coffee shop is clearly judging me, but quad, definitely not Quad Eighth Shot. And Roast. Not a bad nickname. They will not. They will not judge you. Go check out Quad Shot at uh, over on Eighth and Roast and Charlotte Avenue, and uh, come hang out with us on the first Tuesday of every month, eight thirty a.m. on the Charlotte location. Okay, Steve, I just want you to walk us through, like again, there that we have 
Now, again, the most recent thing on Thursday afternoon is the Titans posting a video of like they have brand new interior shots of 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 Nissan Stadium, what it's going to look like. That's clearly capping off a week of very difficult and tough news cycle for all of them. There's a huge story Change by Rex the conversation. Road. Yeah, huge story by Rex Road and Rossini on the Athletic, sort of documenting a lot of detail. Uh, important to consider where all that information could be coming from. There's clearly a team side of the story. There's clearly a Vrabel side of the story, and there's maybe even a Rand side of the story. And then there's maybe the truth uh, as well. I, you know, I think it's clear, and Paul agrees that Amy Adams Strunk probably should have been out there at the press conference with Rand Carthon if it is exclusively her decision and all her decision and Rand's not really a part of it, then it needs to, she needs, she needs to be more front and center than just a statement and a video with Mike Keith, where Mike Keith's the, the amount of head shaking and nodding that Mike Keith did in that video was like, I was concerned for hostage well. video. I was like, stop shaking your head. If you're safe. <laughs> I love, I, first of all, I love Mike Keith. I do too. Uh, I do more too. than, more than, more than, more than almost anything. He's just, he's a great guy. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, he's been Sterling as the voice of the Titans for years. And I felt so bad. I uh, I felt so bad. And matter of fact, I think I think I said this on Twitter. Uh, you know, I I feel bad that they're making you know legendary great guy Mike Keith go do this <laughs> hostage interview. He, you know, he's he looks he looks a little bit like Baghdad Bob out there. And Mike Keith, Mike Keith texted me that night after seeing that and yeah. said yeah. and said. I would prefer Uncle Sunshine uh, as opposed to uh, as opposed to Baghdad Bob, but I don't think I don't know if Mike would be upset with me sharing this. But Mike is an intense person. He is a competitor. Oh yeah, he he is not a that is, like, that he, is the least surprising thing ever. He comes off as like so nice and kind and likable, and he is. But he is also a very intense guy. Uh, like I mean, in the best way. Like I'm, yeah. I would put I would yeah. put myself in that in that category, right? Of just generally in, in like he is passionate about his work and it shows uh and i just have always it's like a side of him that <laughs> like he's, he's there's a side of him that you don't you don't hear on a radio broadcast that i really appreciate so um so it was fun watching his head bob as much as it was <laughs> <laughs> the the um the, the interview is the interview is worth watching though it is it is because uh because you need to hear what amy adam strunk said uh and you, you need and you know some of that you have to just kind of parse. You have to kind of read behind what she's what she's saying. Uh, but it but it but it's interesting, sort of the links that they went to. And then when you pair that with uh, the Rossini and Rex Road story, which was in the Athletic today, I, that you know those stories are those kind of behind the scenes stories. The the limitation on them is the the access that you have. Uh, and you're never able to tell, you know, 360 degrees of a story. You hope that you're able to tell enough of it that it gives some illumination. Uh, they're tricky to write because you never know motivations when you're when you're talking to people, and you have to you you want to be able to give as much detail as possible. But you but you 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 know sometimes taking things at face value, you have to evaluate. Kind of is this is this the truth? Is this someone spinning something? Is this yeah. is this what I think the Rossini and Retroid story did a, did a pretty good job, kind of balancing balancing that. It's it's extremely tough in those situations because you're essentially 
you're essentially reading I and mean, you're essentially watching something kind of like through a periscope. Yeah. You, you so, don't have you don't have a full view of everything. It, so like for example on our content this week on a football show, please go check it out, myself and Zach Lyons, there are certain things that I have to sort of uh, that I understand are kind of tainted. You get information from somebody and you know sort of what side of the aisle they're on in a in a in a situation like this, right? There is the team and there is the guy who was fired, right? And so there are motivations on both sides of the story to tell their version of the story or to try to you know make sure that, that what what they think is the truth is out there. And so there's things that I have that I have acquired through this process that I cannot say on the show or say to anybody that I have to keep to myself because I know that there's a there's a veil there. There's a a, a film um, yeah. a prism with which that information is coming to me because it is a, from a person on one side of the story or the other. And you kind of have to know, again, if I was, if, if you're getting something from the team, there might be an anti-Vrabel slant inherently involved in that and a pro-Carthon slant. If you get something from the Vrabel side of things, there's going to be an inherent anti-Carthon and Amy Adams Strunk slant. So you just sort of have to sort of understand that part of it. There's so much stuff in that story that's great. Also, so much in that stuff in that story that is kind of contradictory. It's so it's a great piece of work by both of them. I want to ask you first, though. I want to ask you the same question I asked Paul, because I know what I would do. You are in charge of rolling out this entire week, and you are sitting in the meeting. Apparently, that was like two minutes long. With you know, you're sitting there with Burke Nihel, the president, Amy Adams Strunk, and probably Rand Carthon, and the, and you're the head of communications and director of marketing and strategy and all this stuff. What what is your what are you doing to roll all this information out? That that right now has been a 30 minute press conference with Rand Carthon, a statement from Amy Adams Strunk, and a whatever that was, a five minute video with Mike Keith. I think um, I would be interested in the amount of prep that went into the Carthon press conference. I would be interested in how much they were gaming out questions, how much it, uh, you should approach. Uh, and this is what I would tell someone in this situation is, is you should pro approach that like a presidential debate. You should, you should practice. You should, you should, you should at, you can't just have come up have answers in your head you have to say them out loud you have to you have to hear how they sound you have to have an audience of people to make sure that that you're not miss making missteps in that situation because i think there are a couple of times where ran made ran gave answers that you were like that 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 left left you with a lot more questions yeah yeah so here's what i would have done and you didn't you did. You sort of just answered the question with a question, so I don't appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> but what I, if they look to me and they go, "Hey, you're in charge of this. What do you do?" Well, first of all, I think you put out the statement, and I think the statement's fine. The statement's perfectly fine. Yeah. But I think what you do is you do a co-joint press conference with Amy Adams Strunk and Rand Carthon, and therefore Amy can lead. And that way, Rand being there takes a little bit of the stress off of Amy being in a massive setting with a lot of people, which is maybe not something she's comfortable with. But you put them both out there at the same time. And that way they can bounce, they can literally look at each other for confirmation, nonverbal cues, et cetera, that actually help you in that situation when there's a bunch of reporters firing questions at you. So you can say, you know, Rand, Rand can say X, Y, and Z, but that was Amy's decision and physically turn to her and, and say, and then Amy can say the stock answer that she's prepared for. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's what I would have done. The video just went over weirdly. 
It went over it oddly. Did, it was it was before the Rand Carthon press conference. It just did, it just went off. Listen, I I understand her her reticence to to talk to the media. Um, I would not have put her in that in, in a press conference situation like that. But I might have I might have done a a one on one interview with somebody who was not Mike Keith, <clears throat> because simply because you the the value of that is having independent questions now. You right. you can have you can uh, and and this happens all the time in those inter- uh, you know a lot of those interviews are ne- are negotiations. Well, and, and her only one was with Teresa Walker, and while we love Teresa Walker, she she's working for the AP. She's not trying to, she's not a radio host trying to get the most salacious thing out of Amy Adams Strong. You know, <laughs> I mean, I I think that um I, I mean Teresa is Teresa is a great reporter. Teresa and it 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 fits that. <laughs> When we had the conversation with Teresa a few months ago about like her being sick or on vacation or something, and when this happened, I think she was like just getting over, uh, just getting yeah. over being sick. It it was like the worst timing ever. You, um, you could have handpicked somebody to do an interview that wouldn't be home turf, but you know that would be a professional about it and would ask a right. tough question, but would be a professional about it. And it doesn't have to be antagonistic. It could have been very professional i still think, I think you could you i think you could that. have gone to i think you could have gone to steve layman or to Corey curtis both of whom have done titans shows uh and, and have and have worked with the titans before and gotten uh and gotten a, a an independent interview that that would have that would yeah. have been that would have been uh you know something for people to see or you could have i i mean i i mean she should she should have sat down with with one of the you know with one of the older uh print people sort of in the market sit down with Koharski sit down uh with um Glennon sit down talk to somebody who has kind of a range of experience about those things but nobody's trying to n- nobody's trying to you know pin Amy Adams Strunk up against the wall it's just that you know i i think that i i think that particularly in in an in a situation where the Titans are now public partners uh, in this <laughs> in in this new stadium. Yeah. I I I would argue that there is a certain obligation for the team yeah. to be to be a little more transparent. I, I think ultimately that is one of my biggest takeaways with the new regime, whatever it is, with the ownership, with Rand Carthon, and with the new whoever the new coach is. They're, they they all need to be a little bit more transparent. And in general, and more connected to the community, because right now ownership and, I mean, the total number of, of of opportunities that Rand Carthon and Amy Adams Strunk have have been available to the press in the last twelve months is not very many, total. Yep. So, um, yeah, exactly. When you're gonna when you're gonna take one point one point three billion dollars from a community, you might owe them a little communication. That's all. Yeah, I don't think it's it's not asking it's not asking too much, you know. And and, and people who are in positions. Uh, a public power will tell you this uh talking is often better than not talking and yes. and, and 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 it demystifies the situation uh and you know the, the 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 thing that we're left with is there are still questions for yeah. her about this if you can if, if you can answer those up front uh it, you're gonna. It, it's go. It goes a long way towards building credibility with a with a population that you are going to need to spend a lot of money with you in the coming years. Yeah, and you and I have talked about this a lot when it comes to public records requests. 
if you do not let something become public, all of a sudden everybody wants to know about it. Even yep. if they didn't want to know about it before, now we want to know, why are you keeping this from us? Why aren't yep. you answering this question? What do we not know? I think demystifies is a great way to put it. You you let the steam out of the pot. If you just answer a few questions, even if they're uncomfortable, and even if the answers aren't don't make you look good, that people move on from that stuff real fast because they 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 prefer to know it, know the answer, and then move on from it. But people will move on very quickly, way quicker than people realize. So yeah. Um, all right. Yep. Thanks to Paul Karski for giving us some time. Go check out his podcast, his website, and his YouTube page as well. Um, obviously, swing by Eighth and Roast, of course. Uh, any of the great locations around the city, you've got Eighth Avenue, you got Charlotte Avenue, the airport, and over on by Vanderbilt on West End, and of course, everywhere their beans are sold at a grocery store near you. Ethically sourced and better beans. They've got better beans. That's the end of the, the end of the tagline. They've got better, better beans. beans. Uh, Nashville, roast. Nashville Banner, of course, NashvilleBanner.com. Sign up there for great coverage of other things going on in the city as well. And uh, come out to 8th and Roast on Tuesday, the first Tuesday of every month on the Charlotte Avenue location uh, at 8.30 a.m. We're going to be there, hanging out and just talking shop, reading, and by Shakespeare, we, reading Shakespeare. And by we, we mean, he means the pod less Nashville people. No, I'm, the, I, I am going to guilt you into showing up. <laughs> You're not going to make me drive to Charlotte Avenue in rush hour traffic, my friend. <laughs> we'll just put your face on a zoom up on the screen <laughs> alright thank you guys all for listening take a deep breath everybody have a great weekend go to Ethan Roast <laughs> <laughs>